Doss. I love, I love Easter. Easter is this great opportunity for us to just love on people around us. And somehow the world makes way for us to just open the door for us, for them to hear this message of hope. I don't know what it is about this culture, but at this point in time, Easter becomes this moment when we're able to say to them, hey, there's an answer for what this is really all about. This big thing that we're hoping for God to do something, he did. And we get to share that with them. And so we have these cards for you to pass out to people. So make sure you grab a couple of them. It's really non-invasive. You just hand it to them and say, hey, I'd love you to come here. Now, I'm going to make you a promise. That Sunday, that Easter Sunday, I'm going to do everything I can to make a message clear and simple. And, and I won't embarrass you. Amen? <laughs> come on. You've been to that church service before, haven't you? Whew. You don't want to do that. Hey, listen, I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm Lance. If you're with us for the first time, welcome home. It's great to have you here. You glad to be here? I'm glad to be here. It's great worship today. Good stuff. And I don't have a cool accent either, Rich. Sorry. Yeah, you say, you say, you don't say faith. You say fight. Sounded awesome. This sounds so much better. Fight. Anyway, sorry. Uh, Hey, listen, we are finishing up a series right now entitled The Creed. The Creed. We've been talking about church doctrine, right? This is supposed to be ridiculously boring that no one would want to show up to. Hopefully it hasn't been that way for you. How many are you getting something out of this series, The Creed? Right? Right. Amen. Right. We're talking about a few things that we say we believe. Right. Andy Stanley says doctrine is what you say you believe. Ministry is what you do with what you say you believe. Right. In other words, we're at a place in time, a place in time where we're trying to decide what it is that we say we believe and then discuss it a little bit, discuss it a bit and talk about it and then begin to walk it out. Now, there's no way we could have discussed all of the doctrines that are written in, in church history, but we can talk about a few. Talked about the scriptures, right? The doctrine of the scriptures, what the Bible really is and what it isn't. We talked about the doctrine of salvation, what it means to give your life to Jesus and what he did for us. Talked about the doctrine of the Trinity, who Father, Son, Holy Spirit really are. Last week, we spent some time talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I got something out of that last week, right? Me dumping water all over the stage, huh? It was the most funny is watching my phone get lit up with all these women who were like, literally women. They were just like, I got to get up there and wipe up that mess. Would you stop spilling water everywhere? It was awesome. Now, I, I want you to know something, that, that some of you left last week with some questions about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What it is, what it isn't, how it is, what I should do, all the kinds of things you can, you can talk about. I want you to know this. At Life Group is, where, is a really safe place to begin to unpack some of those questions. If you're not involved in a life group at all, you got to get involved in a life group. Our church is growing larger, right? I, I, our church is, here's what I believe. I believe a church should grow large and small all at the same time. In other words, I think it can grow bigger, but it has to become relational. You have to be in a small group. If you're not in a small group and you'd like to get into a small group, I'm going to make it super simple, right? There's a doorway to get into small groups. Here's where it is. Come on Thursday night right here at the church, and I'll help you get into a life group. What we do on a Thursday night is we do a thing called Group Link where I get a bunch of people in here and then we discuss a little bit. We watch what I call a jump start video that we make on Saturday nights. And then we, we break into groups and then we talk about what it is that we saw. We, we can unpack and ask questions. So if you have questions at all about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or about any other sermons we're talking about, come on Thursday nights at 7 o'clock to get involved in a life group. Amen? It's important. It's imperative. I think it's so important that we walk that out. I even believe so far that spiritual gifts happen most naturally in the context of a small group. Really, come on. Hospitality, bagels, amen. 
Hospitality, lasagna, mm-hmm. Right? You in a small group, lasagna. You do a church, bagels. You do the math. All right, come on. Here we go. Small groups. Listen, we talk about doctrine, and doctrine really is what I call an anchor. Anchors are things that keep you in the middle of a storm. The boat can roll all around the place, but when it's anchored into something that's true, when we're talking about a truth, that we, we know that this anchor, the harder it gets tugged on, the deeper and deeper it goes into the bottom of the ocean, right? The point is to keep you firm, to keep you steady, to keep you safe. In the middle of the storm that's raging on up here, your anchor stands firm because you remain connected to it. That's what doctrines are. They're anchors to our faith that we hold on to, that we don't have to, that, that won't get blown about by every wind and wave of, of truth that comes your way. The truths. This morning, I want to talk to you about a doctrine that I believe is, is something that I think uh, we miss lots of. I want to talk to you this morning in finishing up our series about the doctrine of evangelism. The doctrine of evangelism. What does it mean to evangelize? I would go so far as to say this. I do not believe evangelism is something we're supposed to do. I think evangelism is something that we are. Jesus, help us today. Amen. I saw these thought bubbles over the place. That grammar was horrible, Lance. What are you doing? Open your Bibles, if you could, to Matthew chapter 28. Evangelism isn't something we do. Evangelism is something that we are. In other words, I think it's something that God wants us to live out, not go and accomplish. I think evangelism is something that's supposed to flow out of who you are as a person, and not so much of a method of what three things you're supposed to do when you knock on the door of an unsuspecting stranger. All right? Sometimes we've kind of done that in church world, right? Here's the things you can do. And we've handed out tools and everything inside of me as a, a pastor who's gone to school to learn things. I, I want to give you the, the method on how to do this. And everything in my spirit keeps telling me, don't hand out a method. Show them, show them who they are. And when they learn who they are, the overflow of their lives will, well, spill into the lives of everyone around them, right? Evangelism isn't something you do. Evangelism is something you are. Amen. Matthew chapter 28. Many of you are familiar with this particular passage. This was uh, given by Jesus at a particular period of time. This was really the, the last chapter in the book of Matthew. It was at a time when uh, Jesus was just giving his basically last words before leaving earth. This was the moment, right? These are the last words he was about to say before he was going to ascend to heaven. Jesus tells his disciples that were up in Jerusalem to meet him down in Galilee because he's got something to say, right? That says that 11 of them left Jerusalem to go down to Galilee to sit down with Jesus or to, to be with Jesus to hear something, right? We don't know exactly what it was. All we know was this was a message that Jesus was going to tell them just before he left planet Earth, right? Something tells me that there's an importance to this message that's, that's important enough for us to see the exclamation point on it, some sort of an assignment that Jesus gave them. So let's take a look at what it says. Go down to verse 16 of Matthew chapter 28. It says, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going up to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some still doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
know, as Christians, we enjoy, um, we enjoy fellowship. You know, as Christians, we enjoy coming together and spending time with each other and, and, and hanging out with like-minded brothers and sisters. As Christians, we often enjoy worship, a time we can come and lift our hands and praise and not worry about how we sing or who's next to us. We just worship him, right? And as Christians, oftentimes we love to come to a place where there's going to be good, solid Bible teaching and maybe even an opportunity for us to, to discuss what it is that we're learning. As Christians, we love all of those. We even love as Christians to break away for those, those seasons of times at retreats where you, you find that mountaintop experience. And because you're going away with like-minded brothers and sisters, we love those kinds of things as Christians, right? Those are all wonderful parts of our Christian journey. And I love those aspects of it. But sometimes I wonder if, if we're missing part of the assignment that Jesus gave us before leaving earth. Sometimes I wonder if we miss out on that message he gave the disciples that last moment. When he meets them in Galilee up on a mountainside and says, Hey, don't forget the most important thing. <laughs> Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, I think we enjoy all of those aspects of our Christian journey, fellowship, worship, preaching, teaching, breaking away with retreat. All the things are awesome, but I think sometimes we forget the primary purpose or the, great, the, 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 the assignment Jesus gave us. Sometimes we forget what it was that we were created for. You know, this, uh, I have this right here, right? This is a table knife, right? Nothing fancy, just a table knife. I promise I'm not going to throw it. Just a table knife, right? Some of you call it a butter knife, right? You know, it's interesting. There's a, if you go online, you can find all kinds of uses for a table knife. Right? In fact, there's a book out there called 101 Uses, right, of, of, of a table knife or a butter knife. There's all kinds of, of uses. I mean, you can use these things, you know, the, to, to pry a window open, open up a can of paint, right? You can do that. You can take the thing and, you know, chip off something on a wall. You can even use it as a putty knife, right? Some of you use this thing, you know, to, well, screw in something, Right? Not supposed to, but you do. You hang on to the metal. That's real smart, but we hang on to that, right? Some of us do all kinds of things. We're going to put our shoe on with it. We do everything with this table knife. <laughs> do you realize that someone actually sat down and engineered this thing for a purpose? Most of which is not what we use them for. This was intended, this, this table knife was actually intended to, the reason why it has just little teeny serrated edges right there is because it was intended to cut cooked food and spread butter on bread without ripping the bread. Hey. Didn't know that, did you? You try butter and bread with a steak knife, right? Rip it open, right? This was actually engineered to not do that, right? Where are you going with this, Lance? Let me tell you where I'm going with it. <laughs> Sometimes we forget what we were really created for. You see, if, 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 if God left us this desire for us to all the time be in fellowship, then once you surrendered your life to Christ, then we would go up to heaven and be in complete, perfect fellowship. If God created you to be all the time in worship and just 24 hours a day, just worship and singing, then perhaps when you surrendered your life to Christ, you'd immediately be in heaven in the midst of perfect worship. If God created us for Bible reading and Bible teaching and, and wonderful times of knowledge, then perhaps maybe when we gave our lives to Christ, we probably would end up where perfect knowledge is. 
But maybe, just maybe, God left us here on planet Earth for something more than what we're doing. Some of us have been living our butter knife existence for everything but what we were created for. Some of us have spent so much time doing all the things that us Christians love to do, and we do them well. And, and don't get me wrong, I love that stuff, and God loves that stuff, and everything about this is, is awesome. God intends that. The problem is, is the balance. The balance of knowing what it is that makes us who we are and living out what God created us to do. Unfortunately, so many of us spend too much time trying to do everything except what we were created for, (laughs) whatever we were left here for. God's intention was that we would walk out the fullness of the calling of an evangelist. How about that? Hmm. Please hear my heart. It's not to diminish what we do in our Bible reading or our worship times. It's nothing to diminish having a longer time of prayer, having more of this. It's nothing to diminish any of that problem is is what we do in, in, in addition to that. Do we live in evangelism? Do we live a life that's light in the midst of darkness, that's a city on a hill, that, that literally cries out the promises of God to a lost and dying world? Or do we continue to say, wait, 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 it's really up to me and for me. Because as long as I get a chance to go to heaven, I'm good. Hopefully you can find your way there. I got it. I'm good. That's how so many of us live our lives. Is that we just get our thing, we're good, we want to pack it in and say, hope you can find yours. Instead of living out what God intended us to do. I mean, it'd be so much easier if God just like, well, just did it all himself. But here's the crazy idea, right? What did Jesus come to earth to do? Did, you forget, did we forget that? Jesus came to earth to do one thing. To seek and save that which was lost. Us. And some of us are just like, well, keep going, Jesus. Just keep on going because you don't need me. (laughs) Some about him using us that matters. Hmm. You know, Polly and I, we're moving. We're we're moving our our house from where we are in Graham out to somewhere near closer to the church. And and, and in our move, right, we're we're taking two of our kids are married and moved out. And one of them is about to move out at some point. So we're downsizing everything, you know. And it's, it's, you tell that to your mommy, right? Downsize everything, right? It's been taking a toll on her heart, right? So we're trying to, we have, we have by the way, we have, we have filled the shelves of Goodwill. Well, you know, man, go to Goodwill. I paid for a bunch of that, right? You're going you're gonna to love it. I'm telling you some really great things that we put in Goodwill, like four truckloads full. But, but in the process of doing all of that, downsizing, we, we get our realtor, and, and our realtor comes to us and says, hey, this is really great. You've downsized a lot, but you need to get rid of a few more things so the rooms look a little bigger. And my wife is like, another knife to the heart, right? There's more that I got to get rid of, right? But we need to make room for people to come into our house to see it, right? See, just like our theme this year is to make room, sometimes we forget to make room for evangelism. Something I'm learning about about making room. Making room is, it's kind of messy. Making room is kind of messy. Making room is kind of costly, right? And making room is really slow, (laughs) It's really slow and hard work. See, I think sometimes we forget that sharing our faith and making room in our lives is going to cost you something. It's going to be a little messy. It might take some time. Jesus created us to give our lives away. Yet all too often, we want to keep it all to ourselves. Make room. Make room to spend time with people who need to know Jesus. 
Jesus tells us here in this particular passage five things that are to show up in our lives. And when they show up in our lives, you'll find yourself living your life as a living example for people to follow. In other words, these five things, when lived out in your life, will really help you to become the light in the midst of darkness. Let's take a look at what those five requirements for fulfilling the mission that God called us to fulfill, to seek and save the lost people. Here's what it said. Requirements for the mission, number one. If we're going to fulfill the requirements of the mission, the first thing we need to do is daily meet with Jesus. We need to meet with Jesus. Matthew 28, 16 says this. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. They met with Jesus. Now, we don't know where this mountain was. All we know is that it was somewhere in Galilee. It wasn't in Jerusalem. He told them to leave Jerusalem. We don't know exactly how many, how many, we know that 11 of the disciples showed up to this meeting, but we don't know how many others may have showed up to that meeting. But we know that in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, and he says, at one particular time, remember, this took place after Jesus had risen from the dead, and then he actually ascended into heaven 40 days later. So sometime during that period of time, Jesus had showed up a handful of times here on planet Earth. One time, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, that 500 people saw the risen Savior, Jesus, at one time. We don't know when that is. I'm tempted to believe that this is it. I got a funny feeling that this was the moment. Why? Because in Jerusalem, remember just a few chapters later, we, we see the Acts chapter 1, when it says, or Acts chapter 2, when 120 believers were up in the upper room. I got a funny feeling that there weren't that many believers in Jerusalem. But we do know in Galilee, when there were thousands of people meandering around Jesus, that maybe 500 of them pulled away to get to this time with Jesus. I don't know, but perhaps. So why, why did Jesus pull these guys away? Why? Well, Jesus, the Bible says they, that he wanted them to meet with him on this mountainside. That's crazy to me, right? Because Jesus had already met with them several times by just appearing. I mean, Jesus would appear. Remember Thomas in that moment where he just appeared and he said, look at the holes in my hands and put your hands in the sides, right? oh, my side of, my, of all that, right? Jesus appeared other times. He, a handful of times Jesus showed up on the scene on the road to Emmaus. Remember, he's walking and those two guys saw him. Why did Jesus have to pull apart a separate moment and say, hey, guys, all of you come and meet me here at this spot? Why couldn't he have just met them there at that spot? There's something to be seen here. Remember, read your Bible slower than we typically read them. I think Jesus was trying to communicate a message by having them meet him. And here's what I think it was. I think the first thing Jesus wanted them to realize is that if they were going to meet him, they had to make some room in their lives to do that. If they're going to meet with Jesus, they had to create space in their life for that to happen. They had to become available. Some of us don't make our lives available to Jesus because we're too busy. I think Jesus also wanted to tell them that relationship requires two sides giving both to the same thing. In other words, Jesus had been doing all the appearing up to this point. I think Jesus was like, hey, remember, this isn't all just me giving to you. This is you showing up in relationship. I think Jesus said, listen, go meet me over there. They didn't have to. But I got a funny feeling that Jesus said, hey, listen, relationships mean that we both come and give to this thing. I think Jesus also wanted them to give them this one big assignment. Go and make disciples. If we're going to learn how to be disciple makers, if we're going to learn how to be light in darkness, then the first thing we need to do is meet with Jesus regularly. Spend time with him, reading your Bible. Spend time with him in prayer. Just spend time meeting with Jesus. Because when you begin to get the heart of Jesus, I'm telling you, you'll begin to fall in love with that which he's in love with. And you'll fall in love with him. Hmm. Number two. Number two, requirements for the mission. Worship Jesus. Not only meet with Jesus, but worship Jesus. 
It says in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Hmm. I love the fact that when Jesus shows up in any given situation, people's first reaction was to fall and worship. You see, listen, when you're in the presence of God, the most natural thing to do is to worship. I love the fact that he's called us to a place of worship. I think it's interesting to me that when you read this passage of scripture, that they worship Jesus right after he shows up. And then it says here, this last little caveat on the end of that sentence, but some of them doubt it. Part of me is like reading the Bible thinking like, why'd you have to put that in there? That's a little nugget we could have done without, right? Why'd you have to include that, writer of the book of Matthew, right? Like, what were you thinking, right? Because then you got somebody coming around going, look, look, they doubted. Now, I just wonder, like, why did he write that? Well, I think a couple of reasons. One, because remember, there were 500 people, I think, that showed up to that moment. I think there was a bunch of people that showed up. And by the way, you know, a bunch of people show up and they see Jesus way up there or down there or wherever it is. And there's 500 people. They didn't have these little things called glasses. I don't know if that worked or not. But I got a funny feeling Jesus showed up. And in fact, look at what it says in verse 18. It says, then Jesus came to them. In Greek literally means Jesus approaching them. See, I got a funny feeling that Jesus shows up. And they were like, okay, what? Who? And then Jesus walked out in the midst of them. And look, this me. Beyond all that, we come down to this one realization. You can't worship and doubt at the same time. So many of us want so desperately to worship Jesus with all that we are. And then we're like, no, nah, I don't doubt it. I can't do this. I can't do this. We saw these two people, Rich and Chris, as they came up and began to tell their story of trust and say, Jesus, we trust you, right? We trust you. There's no doubt. Let me tell you what affects their worship. It affects it like crazy. And their, their worship becomes crazy and reckless because they can trust Jesus. You can't worship and doubt at the same time. If we're going to be used of God, we have to come to the place where we choose one side or the other. We're either going to live in worship or we're going to live in doubt because they, they don't work together. If we're going to meet the world the way Jesus wants us to meet him, then we're going to worship him with all that we are. Number three, third requirement of pulling off this mission. We need to submit to Jesus. Verse, 9, verse 18 says, Jesus came to them and told his disciples, I've been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. Complete authority, I love that, complete authority. Jesus wasn't given partial authority, he was given absolute authority. In other words, there was nothing that he couldn't do. Jesus knew everything, he could do everything. Jesus is all of everything. In other words, get this. Remember when you were a grade school kid and you bumped into that bully on the playground? <laughs> Maybe you were the bully. I'm telling you, but you know what I'm talking about, the bully that showed up. Nobody likes the bully. It was hard because the bully, he looks and he picks at you and he says things or she says things or whatever it is. And you think that, let me tell you this. Here's how to defeat a bully, right? I've said this before, but it's important that you know this. Here's how to defeat the playground bully. This is it. Find a bigger friend. That's how you beat up a bully. Find a bigger friend because if you can't handle it, get a bigger friend because that'll scare the bully away every time. Amen. <laughs> Write that down. Find a bigger friend, right? Because you get a bigger friend, the bully gets a little weird and leaves a little away. Let me tell you this. If you got Jesus on your side, if you're walking with him and he's living inside of you, he's got all authority in heaven and on earth. He's bigger than the bully. You know the bully I'm talking about. One that tells you that you'll always be that way. One that tells you that you're filled with shame because of that thing that you did. One that says you'll never be forgiven. One that says you'll always and you'll never and you'll always and you're gonna, and you'll never, and you're always, and you left. It goes on and on because that bully doesn't stop. Some of you need to find a bigger friend. It's Jesus. 
who has all authority, all power. Bully's got nothing on you. When we begin to walk in an understanding of who it is that he is, let me tell you what it does. You can't not share that with somebody. Because it shows up in your life because you know who you, you, you know what it's like, the little guy that walks around next to the bully, he's just so prideful, and he's like, I got nothing to worry about. You're him. You can be him. You can be her, the one that walks next to the bully, because you got nothing to worry about. Why? Because you, you got Jesus. He's bigger than the bully. Amen. Number four, requirements for the mission. Be baptized by Jesus. Be baptized by Jesus. Verse 19 says this, Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I love this passage of Scripture because this is what we use when we baptize someone in water. We have baptisms that are coming up here shortly after Easter. We'll have it right over there. There'll be a tank, and, and we'll have people who baptize, or they're going to be baptized. I'll baptize some people. Some of you will baptize your friends or whatever will make that happen. And what I do is we, we, we dip them down into the water, and we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they come up. Now, I think that's appropriate. It's what we're supposed to do. But I think there's more to this verse than just that. Because Jesus literally is saying here, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We talked about baptism last weekend, right? If you didn't get a chance to hear that message on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then go online and watch it or listen to it, and you can see what the message was about. Baptize literally means to be immersed into or submersed into. Jesus said, listen, if you're going to go be my light in the darkness, if you're going to go give away what I got, then you've got to be dipped into me like crazy. You got to be fully dipped into me like crazy. And when that happens, this is what it says. Luke chapter 3. This is uh, John the Baptist says this. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone's coming who is greater than I am, much greater than I am, that I'm not even worthy to be a slave. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. There's something about this baptism of the Holy Spirit thing that's, I think, a prerequisite for us to fully be the evangelist that God's called us to be. Like I would even tell you this way, just like I said last week. I think you giving your life to Christ, salvation makes you heavenly ready, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit gets you earthly prepared. Salvation makes you heavenly ready. You get saved, you get to go to heaven, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit gives you the power. What power? The power, right? He's talking about power from on high, the fire of the Holy Spirit. To do what? Do magic tricks on people? <laughs> no, that's not the power he's talking about. I think the power he's really talking about is, is really empowering you to fulfill the mission. What mission? Matthew 28 mission. The go mission. He told us to go. I love the fact that he told us to go, but he said, hey, by the way, before you go, get filled. Be baptized, because that's going to empower you. Some of us have thought that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was all just about you getting to speak in tongues and have really great worship times. Awesome, but that's not the whole point. The point of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to give you power from on high to go. Well, so what does that mean? You just start going out and just, I am baptized in the Holy Spirit, la, 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 and you start speaking in tongues to people? No, that'd be crazy. You get laughed at, right? What is it that we're supposed to do? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It says this. It says, when you are controlled by the Holy Spirit, you'll have fruit growing off of you. Fruit will happen on you, man. It'll just, well, when, you're, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, this fruit will show up on your life. 
I love this because it's the fruit that's supposed to be edible by other people, right? So imagine what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, you are supposed to be my disciples and actually go out and make disciples. I'm going to empower you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to empower your spiritual gift. In other words, you have spiritual gifts. We've been talking about that. We all have spiritual gifts. You were given them by heaven. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, ask someone close to you. They'll tell you. Like it or not, right? So I'm telling you, in the midst of that, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised how common your spiritual gift is to you. You might not know your spiritual gift. You know, I asked this week purposely four or five people, hey, what's your spiritual gift? And each time I talk to them, I, I can kind of tell what their spiritual gift was because I knew them. And they gave me a list of things that they were spiritual, they were really good at and it might have been their spiritual gifts. But then I would stop them and say something that I saw really good within them. And I said, uh, well, what about administration? I think you're doing that really well. Yeah, but everyone can do that. And I was like, no, not everybody can do that because you're really good at it. And you love people. Like there's administrators that are mean. You're not that. Right, so, and she's like, hey, maybe I am, right? It's a gift. That's exactly right. You might not know what your spiritual gift is, but when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, that gets empowered for the world to see. Amen. It says the fruit of the Spirit will come off you. Now, what I've always told you was the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think that's true. But as I studied the word this last couple of weeks about the fruit of the Spirit, I found in the original language of the Greek, the word fruit is in the singular form in grammar. It's a singular word, not a singular masculine word. In other words, it means fruit. In other words, in English, you know, we say a fruit, we say there's a piece of fruit and there's a bowl of fruit, right? It would be either single and plural. Single piece of fruit, bowl of fruit. In, in the Greek, it's plural or single. That's it. And so in, what happens is we have this single verb, th- th- this word showing up, and it says that it is actually the fruit of the Spirit, not a verb. The fruit of the Spirit, it's, it's one thing. What does that mean? I think it's supposed to be like this. The fruit of the Spirit is love that manifests itself joyfully. Love that manifests itself peacefully. Love that manifests itself graciously. Love that manifests itself patiently. Love that manifests itself controllably. What if that's what God's calling us to be, is just a bunch of God-filled lovers? And what if that's how you're to reach a lost world that doesn't know what that means? And if you were the devil, if you were the devil, what's one thing that you would try to screw up the meaning of? Because you know it's the power of God. We've turned love into everything but what it's supposed to be. It takes a second to look on media anywhere to find out what the world defines love as. And it's not this. Maybe the point of you giving your faith away is just God-empowered love that manifests itself in peace, joy. And you love faithfully. And you love carefully. Well, what, if, what if that is exactly what God's called you to be? Then your evangelism doesn't become something you do. Evangelism then becomes something you are. Because now you're a Holy Spirit-filled lover. And now when you show up at the grocery store line, your, your life becomes this overflow of water splashing everywhere because you're loving on people. 
But it's funny, we had this gal um, show up, her and her husband showed up to put the for sale sign in our yard. A little teary moment for us, right? But, but they're out there putting the sign in our yard. And when they walk in, they showed up. Her and her husband gets out of their truck and he pulls out the, the shovel and she comes walking around and she's, hey, good to meet you. She doesn't know who I am. And we're talking to her. And immediately I was like, these guys are Christians, man. I could just tell. Have you ever seen that happen? Like somebody you're like, they're believers. I can just tell, right? So it didn't take long before we're talking and find out that they go to a church, a four-square church in Puyallup. And I was like, hey, I know that guy. He's a good pastor and friend of mine. Anyway, as we're talking, right, I said to her, I said, you know, it's funny. I know you're out here digging a post hole for a sign. I could see Jesus on you when you walked up. She goes, what? I said, no, really, it's just all over. I can tell, right? I'm not spiritual. I'm just telling you, you just look like love walking this direction. See, that's exactly what it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be visible to, well, hurting, lost, broken fearful people who have no idea. So maybe the big question is this. Maybe we need to be filled with his Holy Spirit. Maybe we need to spend time with him. We need to worship him. We need to submit to him. We need to be filled with him. And the last thing Jesus says to them, if you want to be, if you want to be light in the darkness, you want to be requirements for the mission, you need to be obedient to him. You need to walk in obedience I think some of us forget that this Christian walk isn't something you have to do, it's something you get to do. When our kids were real little, our goal wasn't to teach them to be obedient out of the fear of being spanked. And some parents do that. We, 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 we get them to be obedient out of the fear of being spanked. If you don't get, do this thing, you're going to be spanked. If you don't do this thing, you're going to be disciplined. I don't want my kids to be obedient out of the fear of reproof. I wanted them to be obedient out of the love of what's Right? I wanted them to say, I'm not going down that way because it's wrong. It will hurt me. Not because my dad said so, and if I do that, he's going to spank me. I wanted them to say, I'm not going that way because it's wrong. See, our obedience, sometimes we're fearful. Sometimes we live our, obedient, our, our life obedient out of the fear of being spanked by God instead of out of the love of what's right. But when we fall in love with him, your obedience comes out of a whole different bucket. And you start to say, oh, I'll trust you, God, because you're good. Oh, God, I'll, I'll share my life with that person. I know it'll be uncomfortable. I know I feel funny, but it's going to bless you because it's what you created me for. What if your evangelism becomes an outflow of who it is that you are, not something that you do? Lord, this morning we come before you and we thank you so much for your grace. God, I want to thank you so much for what you've given us in this creed series. God, you've shown us what it means to walk with the authority of Scripture. You've given us a clear indication of what it is that you did with our biggest problem by coming to earth and saving us in the doctrine of salvation. You helped us to see who you are, Almighty God, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit the doctrine of the Trinity. Lord, you revealed to us this last week and even a little bit today about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and that it's more than just some sort of a selfish function, but rather it's to be an overflow of our lives to a lost world. That you showed us how to be evangelists. Lord, by living out what you've created us to live out, the doctrine of evangelism. So Jesus, this morning, I pray that each of us feel a commission, a commission to fulfill the mission. I just as you're sitting quietly here, I want you to begin to ask yourself this question. 
of all five of those requirements, meeting with Jesus, worshiping Jesus, submitting to Jesus, being filled and baptized by Jesus, or obeying Jesus, of those five requirements to evangelism, what's the one thing that you need to grow in this week? You need to grow in. Is it spending time with him? Then do that. If it's worshiping him, then do that. Submitting to him, then do that. Let's begin to grow in our walk with with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.